Hello, welcome to AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. I'm your host, John S. Trying a little electro swing today, I hope you like it. In this episode, Ben and I discuss step 12, how we changed, why we changed, and what we do to help others, with a few other topics thrown in for good measure. I hope you enjoy this episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Hey, Ben. Hey, John. It's good to talk with you. It's been a while. Yes, it has. I took a much-needed break. I had a lot going on at work and um, just needed to kind of focus on things there for a little while, getting them squared away. Yeah, that self-care is important. It is. I've missed the uh, I've missed these podcasts, though, and I've also missed my regular meetings. So um, I've been a little bit out of sorts, but, but okay. I'm looking forward to this. I mean, step 12, uh, the first thing I'm going to say just kind of going into it with you, Ben, is I'm mm-hmm. I'm 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 definitely not a um, dogmatic person. I'm definitely not a um, ideological person when it comes to twelve step recovery. I, I I don't I don't see these steps as um, something I have to follow religiously and 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 do just right. And and mm-hmm. I don't think it's so important to analyze them and understand them. I, I just see them as just a, a way of our sharing our experience with each other. This is how the, the first people shared their experience with us is through these steps. That's it. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we do. And and I'm very different from a lot of people in AA and even within our own community of agnostics, atheists, and free thinkers. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, you know, it says in the step, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we, oh, I can't believe I can't remember the steps. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Well, first of all, um, I don't have as, I don't believe in spirituality. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't say I don't believe in it. It's not a thing for me. It's mm-hmm. not, um, I'm okay with people having a spiritual experience or expressing their recovery in spiritual terms. But when they do, I have to interpret that for myself. So yeah. if someone says that they've had a spiritual experience, I'm often thinking they've had an emotional experience or a psychological experience. Mm-hmm. They've had something that they feel inside of them on an emotional mental level because for me there's no such thing as a spiritual level. I believe in only physical things. So that's that's my that's my, the approach I take now. Um, I wasn't always that way, but that's the approach I take. So when they say having had a spiritual awakening, the way that I I word the step for myself is Having changed, mm-hmm. I help others. Yeah. And that change could be um, as a result of some external force. It could be a result of my own hard work. And I think in my case, it was a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And that attitude of being helpful to others doesn't just limit myself to being helpful to people in AA or people who are having drinking problems, but it's an attitude I try to carry with me and through society as a whole to help where I can. And one mm-hmm. thing I have learned in AA that I do value is that the greatest thing that I can share with anybody, whether it be in AA or the workplace or whatever, is my experience. And mm-hmm. through sharing my experience, it's an easier way for people to um, accept because I'm not, I'm not preaching to them. I'm not telling them what they must do or, you know, I'm just telling them, hey, this is what happened with me. 
Yeah, it's like when when you just share your experience, you're just asking them to engage in their own experience. I liked what you said, too. Um, the people who first got together, I mean, I know this branched off the Oxford group, but they didn't they didn't all have the exact same experience. They talked about their experiences. They found what they had in common, and they recorded some of it. I mean, I think the book was, you know, necessarily yeah. meant to be sold. So it, it makes it sound like there was a, a uniform Right. Uh, yeah. You know, consensus. But we know reading AA history, that certainly was not true. Right. But um, and I'm with you. I'm not a big fan of the word spiritual. And, and I do the same kind of translating. I do like, you know, I can get behind the idea of an awakening. It's like I know I think about how depressed I was while I was still drinking. And, um, you know, I'd had different awakenings during my drinking times, too. It's like just a moment where you learn something about the world or about yourself and you're changed because of it. I think the 12 by 12 even says it's a new state of consciousness or being. I can get behind that. But yeah, in terms of spiritual and God's reached down and touched me and this and that, that's not my belief. But um, I can understand how people. If you have a religious background, might feel that even if you don't have a religious background, if you have some kind of, I can understand how you want, want to express it that way because the difference between being an alcoholic and a sober alcoholic is so stark. I mean, it's mm -hmm. so, it's so, it's so amazing that when you go through that experience where one day you realize, wow, I can read the Sunday newspaper, you mm -hmm. know. I can, I can, I can buy supper or I can, I can hold my food down or I, you know, I can, I can sign a check without shaking or, I mean, right. um, it's like going from black and white, a black and white movie to a color movie like The Wizard of Oz, I guess. You know, yeah. it's, it's truly a different, um, thing. So I can understand why people would want to express it like, wow, this, this is something beyond just, this is outside of the human experience. This is something I can't really explain because I've never experienced this before. Right. And that's how they choose to describe it. Yeah, it is. And, I, again, I think there's peer pressure in AA to describe things the way it's described in our book and things like that. And it's just not necessarily true for everyone, I don't think. Um, you know, I've met, since I've been more honest about different things like struggling with depression or having periods of sobriety where I wasn't overly content, you know, um, and it, it, it wasn't because I wasn't doing the steps and I wasn't doing what was asked of me. It was just a, a period of time where I'd had some mental health issues or just down periods of time and that that's okay and normal. But the more I've talked about that and been open and honest about that, the more people I've had come up to me and talk about the same thing. So there can, there can be, as we read through the grandiosity of our literature, there can be a left out feeling that I feel sometimes and I, and other people have told me too, that if you're not experiencing it exactly that way, well, then you must be doing it wrong. Or yeah, I just, we ignore mental health. We didn't know a lot about mental health before. There's a lot more to having a healthy life if you want, if you want there to be. I mean, a lot of people receive help in therapy. A lot of people need pharmaceutical help. You know, I know that's controversial even in our community, but there's there's more to this happiness than just living this dogmatic way that's prescribed in the books. That, yeah. That's been my experience, at least. There are people who, you know, do everything in this book and perfectly, I guess, right. <laughs> and uh, experience that all the time. They claim to. But right. um, I just I don't find that very honest when I hear it. I yeah. mean, it strikes it strikes me as not honest when I hear it in a meeting. And it's not not necessarily because I'm out to break down somebody's character or see when they're lying but sometimes it feels like a lot of posturing you know sometimes we can tell what feels genuine to us or not and often that stuff doesn't always feel that genuine to me yeah 
No, I and get it. Sometimes it's because I've known what that person's been going through that they'll share with me personally. You yeah. know? Yeah. No, I was like that. I mean, I I was. Um, I've sh- I've talked about this before, and a lot of it was just me. How I this is just how I behaved in this new group setting that I found myself in when I was starting out with AA. I learned to conform to the social norms of the group. I learned mm-hmm. to say the things that the group um, was saying that the the majority of the people said. So. And, and the, the particular group that I went to, they 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 studied this big book, and they thought that the big book was the was our recovery, and it was important to know. So, um, you know, I studied the big book like like the rest of the group did. And when I talked in meetings, I would I would share um, from the big book more than from my own personal experience, probably. Um, mm-hmm. But you know. That's okay. I mean, I was doing good because, you know, I might have thought that it was understanding the book and, and, and somehow replicating this experience from 1935 or 1939 or whatever was keeping me sober. Right. But there was probably a lot of other things going on. A lot of other dynamics were taking place in those meetings and after the meeting mm-hmm. that was really doing yeah. it for me. Um, the personal, the human connection and, and all of that, as we've talked about, um, not to denigrate the steps. And not and not no. to put down the idea that yeah it's great having recognized that I've changed you know I've changed mm-hmm. however you know maybe I've changed I, there's a lot of ways I've changed I've changed because I've gotten older and I've learned a lot just from living um, right I've changed because of Alcoholics Anonymous I've changed because of my experience as an active alcoholic and not drinking mm-hmm. and sharing that with others um, in all kinds of ways I've changed people friends uh, psychologists psychiatrists so yeah you know but I have changed for sure. I mean, none of us would be involved in this if we hadn't changed. And I guess part of step 12 is hoping to help other people um, change. It used to be for me, you know, I read in the book a lot of time, you know, they'll say uh, we carry AA's message. We carry AA's message. Well, I don't know if I carry AA's message. And I've gotten hollered at recently by a dogmatist about that. And it's it's. All I have is my own experience. You know, we've got all these quotes from Bill Wilson through the years that say you can meet these steps where they're at. You can take them or leave them, basically. Um, so really, all I have is my experience. And if if I had to boil down AA's message at all, um, it's just that it's possible to live a, a pretty contented, happy life. Well, it's just possible to not drink right. and move forward, I guess. Right. Um, there. That's, a, that's something that's a bit of a... Um I guess you want to call it a dichotomy. I don't know. But like in the big book, it says that there's a solution that we absolutely all agree upon. I don't think any time in the history of Alcoholics Anonymous <laughs> have we ever agreed on any one solution. You know, no. if there's anything that we agree on, it's that we recognize we have a problem and we have a common problem. So that gives us the ability to help each other, you know? Yep. So, so in a way, you know, step 12 is probably, you know, the bedrock of AA in that it's, it's the it's the fact that you know we have a unique ability to um help someone who is having a drinking problem or drug problem for that matter and has bottomed mm-hmm. out in their life because we've had the experience and they can and and because of that they can trust us you know we we speak we speak to each other on a level playing field from our own experience i mean that's what mm-hmm. did it for me i mean you know, coming into the rooms of AA as a young person who was ex- looking at some, you know, having some serious legal issues and stuff, I was so ashamed of myself. You know, I, I wouldn't want anyone I went to high school to know what I was dealing with or, or the people I went to college with or my family for that matter. I didn't want anyone to know what was going on. I, that, I had that kind of shame. But when I came into AA, I met people that looked like really decent people 
who had the same experiences and mm-hmm. it just made all the difference in the world. Had I gone to like, if there hadn't been an AA and I just went to a doctor or, you know, somebody who has it all together and is real authoritative and is speaking to me from books he's studied and everything like that, I would respect all that knowledge, but it doesn't reach me the same way as a human being who's had the experience that I've had. And it, it's not, it's important to ha- be able to have people you can trust and go and talk to about things because it's a, it's a mm-hmm. really, um, when you first stop drinking, it's a really tough period for a lot of different reasons, physically, emotionally. Um, and it's really great to have a network of people that you can share notes with and, and um, kind of help you through that period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you said that that's just what it is and what it's good for. And, that's probably why I'm so anti-posturing and anti-dogma because I feel like it, it somewhere in there the genuineness gets lost and it's harder for people who might be new to connect with that raw honesty um, yeah. about what's really going on. Um, yeah. So that's that's I think that's where my concern comes from on that. Yeah. And it's as I read through even the book, you know, the working with others chapter, it's amazing how much is on you know, step 12 in both, both books of literature, but it's, it's like, I called it in other podcasts. It's like sobriety vampires. It's like, I've got to go help someone so I can stay sober, you know? And if, if they're not jumping on, then don't hesitate to drop them. You know, it's like, I, okay. There's some really, really good advice in there about don't try and force sobriety on anyone who's not really ready. That's good. But it, but it's almost like the tone it takes. It's very, very cult like this time reading through where it's like, trying to go on out and be an evangelical uh, yeah. about AA and, and roping people up. And, you know, um, it's That's very, Dale say. it's very, it, I think, I wonder if it's because of them coming from the Oxford group where it, I guess that was sort of an evangelical movement. And I wonder if, you know, they were trying to replicate first um, century Christianity. So I guess, and I don't, I'm not a history historian on Christianity, but I assume that the Christians were trying to get their message out there, right. And convert people. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yep. maybe that's yeah, sure. maybe, maybe that's what they were you know that that's the that's their background um in right. a way it served us well because i mean it, the aa grew like phenomenally and still is because of that you know people For felt sure. this need to share their experience but you're also right i mean there's got to be some balance because it can be a little bit off-putting you know to be evangelical mm-hmm. about anything you know and the book warns us of that too it i does. mean it's interesting right. it kind of goes back and forth you're so. right you're right about that it does I mean, the I the, they really did try hard with the big book to to be balanced. I think to certain to a certain extent. Um, but yeah, you're right. They they did they did say that. Um, um, I found that balance. You know, I I don't feel a need to go out and and change anybody. I don't I don't feel a need to. I you know I I don't go out of my way to insist that I guess somebody believe a certain way or anything. I I don't really care. I I just. I just, for me, it's, I care about, I care about people that are, that are experiencing this, this problem because I've experienced and I know how it feels and mm-hmm. I just want to be there to, you know, it makes me feel better and it feel, it's very fulfilling for me to watch them get better. <clears throat> and I don't think I yeah. really have that big of a role in it. I might've done some things that laid some groundwork for them maybe, but at least I've, I'm there to experience that. And that's, that's what I like to see I, even in the workplace to be honest with you i've been talk, talking about it before the podcast i enjoy mm-hmm. watching the employees at work develop 
<laughs> I, mm-hmm. I enjoy watching their progress, and I and I get the same thing at in um, AA. I, I enjoy going to meetings and watching people, you know, start at the bottom and kind of rebuild their lives. And yeah, and if I can help them in any way, it's only through saying, "Yeah, that I was. This is what happened with me, or whatever." So, but um, yeah, it's it's my nephew says a lot in meetings, and forgive me if I'm repeating myself, but he'll say. I'm not here to help anybody but myself. And then everybody, of course, like, oh, you know, kind of like sounds very selfish. But then he goes on to talk about how if I just am in a M in AA to help everybody else, that's not always healthy. So the the way I've found that I help people the best is just by coming to a meeting and being authentic and genuine to who I am. And then it has a chance to resonate with somebody else. Now, it doesn't mean if somebody asks me to help them, I'm not going to help them. And it doesn't mean that that's not part of why I'm there. But but what he means is if I'm just out there searching and trying to grab people to help, it's it doesn't it doesn't tend to last for yeah. whoever whoever receives that help. Like if we just come and engage and and be open and vulnerable around other people, it tends to encourage that in other people. Yeah. I think that's his point. We've talked about that many times, but people really bristle at that right when he first says it. And it doesn't mean screw all you. I'm not here to help anybody but myself. It's not that kind of selfishness. It's just, and that's that's what I like about AA. It's when it's when when it's good. When I find it's good, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say because everybody finds it differently. But when it's you know our my old home group, the first if somebody's there for their first time, we immediately have a step one meeting, yeah. which is okay, I think. Mm-hmm. But then all the attention gets yeah turned to that new person, and people will talk directly at yeah, that person. Yeah. It's like that's the opposite of what needs to happen in my book. It's like oh, wow. that's the last thing you want the first meeting you walk into. That's so interesting. But did you know that in at our group here in Kansas City, we voted to stop doing the first step meetings for people. I don't I don't blame you. I don't We did. And it, it's so interesting and we had a discussion about it at our last business meeting where now we're going to leave it at the the um chairperson's discretion. But this mm-hmm. is what we found. We we get a lot of newcomers at our group and mm-hmm. um they come and then we give the, the them a first step meeting where we share our stories to them and everything. And by the way, that's not universal in AA. It seems to be in the Midwest for sure mm-hmm. we do that. But I don't think that they do that. They don't do it in Canada. When I was talking to mm-hmm. Roger, he said, "What are you talking about?" No. Right. So anyway, we decided, like, like you just said, it's like, wow. I mean, we're just making these people feel uncomfortable. We're 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 talking to them. They're they're oh, the center cool. of attention. Um, they, you know, we get a little bit long winded with our stories. Um, oh, it's cool. not really, it's not really a good example of what the typical AA meeting is. Um, and we thought, no, what we should do is recognize we got somebody new there, but just create an atmosphere where that person feels safe and welcome. And then we just go on and have our regular AA meeting mm-hmm. and you can, and then just let them kind of ex- have that experience. And I found that that works better than going around the room and sharing your drunk log uh, with a person. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you said that because we had that experience at our group and we're probably the only group I know of in Kansas City, I betcha, that decided not to do first step meetings. And when I tell mm-hmm. people that we did that, they think, oh, that's so sh-, they're shocked by it because they're thinking, well, don't you want to help people? Well, we think that the way that we are helping people is by not by not putting them on the spot. Right. Just just making them feel welcome. That's the best yeah. way that we have of helping people. So it's interesting you you mentioned that. Well, and I'm sure it's different for everyone, but, you know, the first couple times I went to a meeting, a court asked me to go once a week, and, you know, I kind of sat on the outskirts, and it took me a while to feel comfortable there. And if if somebody would have just came right out and 
hey, get in here. You, you know, it's like I probably would have been like, fuck this. I'm out of here. I'm not coming back. Yeah. I needed, I needed, like you said, a place to feel comfortable and slowly dip my toe in. And then, you know, after a while, I did feel comfortable and I heard things that, that resonated with me that made me feel like it might be in the right place. So anyway, we we, that's, we did that. And then now we're deciding to let people, some people think that it's important still to do it. So we're just leaving a chairperson's discretion to decide what they do. Because I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily bad. Um, I think it's, I think it's better not to have to do that first step meeting for people. But um, yeah. You know, I, I had that traditional experience where people went around the room and shared their story. It was kind of helpful for me yeah. to, to hear that. But they, um, I didn't necessarily feel like I, I was on the spot at that meeting. I really felt very yeah. safe and comfortable for whatever reason. But some of the meetings I've been to, I've heard some crazy, crazy, crazy stuff happen. You can't really yeah. control what's said sometimes, you know. Well, and it's, uh, there's a way to have a step one story without it turning into drunkologues, but there's definitely, when you do focus on step one, there's some people that's the only thing they're comfortable sharing, it seems like. So that's all you ever hear from them in a meeting. So it, it takes that out of play, I guess. But, you know, there's a way to truncate that. I think step one meetings can be good where we talk about realizing when we had a problem and how we felt and things like that without going into every little detail, but. So when you do it in, in Nebraska, like you do the meeting, you all go around, share your story. Do you bypass the person there and then give him an opportunity or her an opportunity to speak at the end of the meeting? Well, this meeting that was my home group was pretty, um, I don't know, it wasn't very structured. Okay. So there wasn't really a set way to do it. Somebody would just kind of share a little bit about their own story of realizing they had a problem. But so many people at that meeting tended to just like, if the person was sitting on the outskirts of the meeting, they would turn their chair around and just stare at the person and tell them what they had to do. Yeah. And uh, you, you can just see on a lot of those people's faces, they're just like, oh, man, you yeah. know, get me out of here. So Yeah. I'm in my it, old home group. I used to particularly hate it when someone would start talking God to the person. Yeah. I didn't have that experience at my first meeting. Nobody was telling me to get on my knees at my first mm -hmm. meeting. If they had said that, I think that would have really creeped me out, to be quite honest with you. Now, I did start hearing that, though. You know, later on, but maybe I heard it at my first meeting, but I just ignored it. I don't know. But when I hear it now at meetings, I don't hear it anymore because I only go to agnostic meetings. But yeah, when I hear I that, it does creep me out. <laughs> kind of a cool experience to give uh, some kudos to an old timer. The other night I went, a friend of mine, he's an older man. He just had some physical things go on. He broke his leg and he, so he's been in like a physical rehab facility and they had a 16 year celebration for him there the other night. And him and I have always been kind of friends and he asked me to give him his chip. And so I was like, oh, wow, I'm not going to miss that, you know, so. I went down there and I saw a lot of people I hadn't seen for a while because I'm not going to as many meetings lately. And this other old timer that was there said, Ben, I talked about you in a meeting the other day. And I was like, oh, really? Uh, what'd you say? I hope it was good or something like that, you know, joking. And he said, well, somebody just said you have to have a higher power or you can't make it in AA. And he said, no, we all know our friend Ben in here. He's very verbal about the fact he doesn't believe in God, and he seems like a pretty decent guy, and he's doing all right. You don't have to do anything here. No, you don't. So it made me feel really good that he said that, and I thanked him for it. But um, you It's know, interesting so you mentioned that thing about having to have a higher power, because I, I haven't been on Facebook very much, just on and off lately, but I saw a post that you actually posted on a, a young woman she seemed like a young woman, but it's from my perspective, yeah. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but she was talking about um, her frustration with um, AA and people insisting that she make up some sort of a higher power, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, you said something in, to her or whatever that made her feel better. Like, um, it's like, yeah, you know, you don't have to make up. Any, you don't have to do anything. 
Mm-hmm. If you're not comfortable having a higher power, and that is, and that term is kind of a strange, it's not a term that we normally use. Higher, I mean, we use it in AA, but in the general world, you don't. Right. But yeah, it seems kind of weird. I don't, I don't need a higher power. You know, let people do whatever they want to do. You know, if, if people, pe- you know, they don't have to make anything up. Who cares? You know, right. do whatever they want to do. I think, you know, I would say to someone, I guess if they said, I, I'm really struggling. I don't, I don't believe I need to have a higher power. Um, I think that I'm responsible for my own recovery. I'd say, you know, I agree with you. I want, you know, I, I agree with you. It's been my experience more or less too. Um, um mm-hmm. I do like going to AA. I think that's helpful. Um, you, you know, mm-hmm. try to check that out and some other options, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, and like we've talked about, it's, it's to me the thing that works behind a higher power, even if you believe in one, is the act of just getting out of yourself. Yeah. But not everybody needs an object to turn that over to to get out of yourself no. and think about others more. So. Yeah. We it's, need to um, start it's, focusing it's, on what we believe and start focusing on what we do. And a mm-hmm. higher power is nothing more than a belief. A higher mm-hmm. power is like I believe that the that that I'm being that I'm doing these things. I'm empowered by this whatever the group or God mm-hmm. or whatever to do these things. That's where I'm getting my power from. They believe. Okay. Yeah. Well, whatever. That's a belief. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Just do what you got to do. Right. Go right. go right. to meetings. Don't drink. Go to meetings. Help others. You know, yeah. if you want to do an inventory, do an inventory. If you want to, you know, make amends, make amends. You know, you've got this whole um, history of experience in AA that goes back, what, 80 years now that mm-hmm. you can draw upon. You've got your home group. You've got all, all these other groups. If you're in a large city like I, I am, you've got all kinds of groups you can go to. Yeah. So draw upon that experience, you know. Well, then I would tell that person, please share with me what's working for you because yeah. I'm tired of hearing the same old bullshit. You know, I mean, it's like yeah. uh, that peer pressure to say the right thing in AA. It's like the the meetings that feel fresh is where you can tell somebody's genuinely doing the work that they're finding works for them, yeah. and then share it with us because maybe I need to hear what you have to say, and I need another little you know piece of what I can take from what you're sharing that I hadn't thought of before. Otherwise, it's just people parroting everything back and forth to each other. Yeah, that I agree with you that on that too. And that contradicts some of the, um, I guess, the, I don't, are these back to basis people that say this, that you should take the cotton out of your mm-hmm. ears or whatever, put the cotton in, yeah, your, ear put it in your mouth. Yeah. You know, in other words, you're saying just shut up and listen right. until you know what you're talking about. Well, that's ridiculous. I right. found, I found that the times I really needed to talk when I was really struggling, you know, what, yeah. And, and so I'm like just the opposite. I say, no, you go to meetings and you share. As you're comfortable to share in meetings, you know, um, mm-hmm. don't, 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 don't sit there and feel like you have to listen and be put in your place. I think that's the worst yeah. advice you can give a newcomer is to, is to, um, not speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's what those people are saying to those person. The translation is shut up. I want to talk now and tell you how to do it. Yeah. You know, it it's, it's and for some people, that's all AA feels like to them. It's like, I, I want to go somewhere and talk down to somebody and tell them exactly what I do. Cause surely they want to be exactly like me. Yeah. You know, and it's like, no, nobody wants to be like you. Yeah. I it's mean, so wrong. It's the exact opposite of what you want to do. Because yeah. I know when I was going to, um, outside of AA, <clears throat> what if I had to go to like a treatment program or I, I, mine was on a typical treatment program, but what I went to was like a, uh, a outpatient thing where the courts made me go. Mm-hmm. Um, if I went to that, um, I would have, I would, you know, I didn't have anybody that they were, I was like basically learning. I mean, they were teaching me things there. Mm-hmm. Or if I went to drunk driving school in particular, 
they were teaching me, they were talking to me, teaching me. We don't really teach in AA. Mm-hmm. We don't, we don't instruct. Um, we just share our experience and we listen to the experience of others. And that listening is very important. Um, mm-hmm. I get a lot from the newcomer. I got to hear them talk. You know, how else am I going to, how else am I going to experience the joy of their recovery mm-hmm. if I don't let them share it? If I don't get to listen to their, their stories. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's that authenticity that, that people have when they're first coming. And I think that, that I miss when meetings are just full of old timers who've got their lines down that they tend to say, like, you know, oh, I've just heard the topic is going to be gratitude. Click track eight in my head and here yeah. it comes. Same yeah. thing every time. Yep. And I just, it's, it's nice to hear fresh things from a newcomer. It's, it is. uh, cause they're, they're coming at it with a fresh perspective. I mean, I would say they haven't been brainwashed yet by the group think that goes on in AA, which, my favorite meetings are the ones where it feels like it has just a slice of like small group therapy to it. Like yeah. not that people are talking back and forth to each other, but just that it's a little bit more revealing. I've got a friend here named Marcy and she said it once in a meeting and I'm sure she borrowed it from somewhere else, but she said, we're like tuning forks. It's like one of us is a little bit off tune and the other people come in, you know, you come into the meeting and they help, it just helps you get back in tune. Like when I'm in a good place and maybe John, you're in a bad place. What I have to share that day helps you get back in tune with where you need to be. And then the next time I might not be that great and you help me get back in tune. Right. So it's, that's, that's to me what, what it feels like. But if it's just teach and preach session, it's like, oh man, it's like, that's why, you know, people who don't know anything about AA will say, oh, are you going to those AA classes, classes. still? It's yeah. like, yeah. They aren't classes. It's uh, people think AA is more professional than it is on the outside. I think too. Yeah, they think I, like there's facilitators that know how to lead it, and it's a you know some kind of organization. But yeah, you know that's actually kind of the impression that I had um, when you know before I came to my very first meeting, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but I was expecting some sort of an interview intake process mm-hmm. <laughs> where they they decide whether or not I'm a, a candidate for the program or whatever. Yeah. But no, yeah, fortunately, not that way. I was reading through um, two in the big book, the 12 um, working with others. But it was here's where some of the first stuff about real alcoholic comes into. Like mm-hmm. it was saying, if you are satisfied, he's a real alcoholic, then you can go forward with this process with, mm-hmm. you know, the person you're trying to evangelize to. Mm-hmm. But then later it says, um, if these pe- if someone thinks they can do it on their own and they can, then they must not be too alcoholic. It's yeah. saying not too much of an alcoholic. So it's those two things kind of contradict each other a little bit. But yeah, um, and, and also that's where we we got we got we have definitely a an ideological battle in within Alcoholics Anonymous, um, where you have these certain dogmatic people who will say, well, if you don't have God then you must not be a real alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And I think they draw from this in the book, but it wasn't really intended to be interpreted like that. There's a huge danger with um, looking at the, the stupid, I, I mean, don't I would call it a stupid book. It's a good book and everything. It's, it's, but it's a, it's a book. It's all, and it's an old book and it's literature. And mm-hmm. you can, you can understand this in the context of, of its time and understand that a lot has been learned from then. But, what I what I was hearing in meetings when I was a newcomer, what and I this was important to me because I was very young. I was well, in, I think I was. I was twenty five years old when I was first starting out, and I needed. I I I people were saying things like, you know, you're not just a little bit of an alcoholic. It's like being a little bit pregnant. It's mm-hmm. like you know, you once you once you have lost 
control of your drinking, it's unlikely to get any better. So, you know, don't, it's, uh, this thing is on a continuum. Um, mm-hmm. you know, alcoholism is a progress, progressive thing. And so it, it helped me understand that and, and it helped me say, it helped me so much. I didn't have to worry about, oh, I didn't go down to the depths of, of this guy who, you know, had DTs and, mm-hmm. you know, lost his everything in the world. I did lose everything in the world, but mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot to begin with, but you know, yeah. um, yeah. So I needed to hear that. And I think that's the best message that we have is that if you have a desire to stop drinking, you belong here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah, alcoholism, like any disease, like any, any pathology, I guess, or anything in anything in the universe changes you know so i mean if you if you continue if you've lost control of your drinking and you continue drinking out of control um it's almost certainly a guarantee that things are just going to get worse right um if you continue drinking um yeah it, physically that tends you're just to be gonna, the truth. yeah it's just the truth i mean physically you're gonna your liver is gonna get get shot you're gonna you're gonna die from it if you if you've lost control of your drinking and you continue on i mean it's just gonna get worse but um that being said once you stop once you stop drinking okay then you've arrested you've arrested that problem and that's and that's great but it's i i don't think that you have to be trapped into any one philosophy or anything of how you go about not drinking mm-hmm. um i just happened to found a way that i have fallen into with aa where you know i don't drink one day at a time and i go to meetings and now for me the steps are just kind of um, auxiliary things, you know. They're mm-hmm. they're they're just they're just part of everything. Um, but you know, everybody well, has and, their own experience with it. And just yeah, for sure. And just as all the things in the step were steps were borrowed from somewhere else, it's like now that I'm returning outside of AA to see how you know to do this thing in the world. You know, I have different ways of describing it than than it's said in the book. Well, this stuff in the book was borrowed from other places, so. Really, I'm kind of returning to the source of it anyhow, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm using things outside of AA. Yeah. Um, that didn't quite make sense the way I hoped it would, no. but it's like uh, it's not exclusively AA. I'm so tempted when the old timer I don't care for the most in my home group always says, well, you're either going to jail institutions, death, or you're going to make it in AA. Well, I want to say those aren't the only options. No. You know, you can make it in smart recovery if right. you don't like it here. You know, I, I just would hate to give a newcomer the idea that if AA doesn't work for you, well, you're going to die. Right. You know? I, I do, too. There's a million different ways, probably, to approach recovery. Um, you know, people, some people just stop on their own and they are real alcoholics. They just and they mm-hmm. and they stop on their own. Um, it, it, it happens. Um, there are, in fact, mm-hmm. I think scientifically they've shown that, uh, that spontaneous recovery is, is, um, a pretty high percentage. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I just, I just read a few articles on that, uh, and that's probably controversial, but, um, so yeah, there's a certain percentage that just recover on their own. There's people that just through to their churches, there are people through AA, there are people right. through different, different, you know, recovery programs, whatever. There's all kinds of different ways. This just happens well, just, to be what I found. Yeah. And just as I know many people who left AA because they were tired of the God stuff, I know quite a few people who left AA because they couldn't talk about Jesus all the time and they felt yeah. like they, you know, I, there really are. I know five to ten people that I've known throughout my ten years in AA who said, I can't stand that I can't talk about Jesus more here. And, you know, yeah. quite a few of those people relapsed, actually. But I don't know. It's 
there's AA does not have to be as narrow as it is about all this stuff. I want to give kudos though to the book too. There's some things it brings up about um, helping people that are good too. It talks about needing uh, to get to know everything about the person you can get to know about them so that you can help them best. Um, that's good, I think. You know, it warns us about helping people with money too much and things mm-hmm. like that too, which is good. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to talk about the benefit of. Uh, you know, it's not as much lately because I don't do quite as much active sponsoring as I used mm-hmm. to. I still do. Mm-hmm. But there was a period of time in my sobriety earlier in AA, I would say probably from when I was two years sober to maybe five years sober, where I'm not saying I wanted to drink and I didn't. But if I hadn't been sponsoring people at that time, it probably would have been a lot easier for me to fade away from AA mm-hmm. and possibly drink. Yeah, I think just knowing that I needed to be accountable because I had other people I was helping mm-hmm. probably helped me. It did help me stay sober. Now, again, I don't think I really don't like the tone of the book at the times where it says we need to help other people to help ourselves stay sober. That seems really selfish to me. Yeah. Like when I, you know, and when people say, well, they didn't stay sober, but you stayed sober. I get their point. But again, I don't want to be a sobriety vampire who wants to run around yeah. helping people. Because it's how what I need to do to stay sober. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Help people because it's from out of my heart. Because I've realized things about myself. I I have processed how difficult it is early in sobriety, and I know that it helps to have a helping hand there. Right. I want to help people. I I mean, but for people who maybe lie along more of a you know codependent spectrum. Step 12 can be really dangerous, I think, too. Mm -hmm. Like, it can be easy to forget yourself, forget your family. There was a particular passage in here that really made me cringe when it came to, let's see, it's on page 97. It said, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Mm -hmm. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. Mm -hmm. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. It may mean the loss of many nights' sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and Mm -hmm. asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day Mm -hmm. or night. Your wife may sometimes say she is neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn Mm -hmm. a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he is violent. Sometimes you will have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you will have to meet such conditions. So it's like some of that saying you're going to have to go to a lot of lengths. You may have to ignore your family a little bit. You may, And to me, that's not practicing the principles of recovery. The first place this thing starts is in my personal life. You know, I need to treat others. And this is... This is part of the 12 step I do love. It's like practicing these principles in all our affairs. It's where can I add to a situation rather than uh, take away? Like if I'm dealing with a customer service situation where I go in somewhere to, um, for lack of a better word, complain, mm-hmm. how am I going to, you know, be respectful to this person while still hoping to achieve the result I achieve with? So don't just go in there and be an asshole. Right. How can I, if I'm in a fast food line and it's taking mm-hmm. a long time, do I treat the employee who's barely making any money and being taken advantage of like shit just mm-hmm. because I'm frustrated? No. I mean, those are the little things that I've gotten from recovery that that are the most helpful. It's like, yeah. how can I be more understanding and compassionate to other people? How can I be of service to people? Hold a door for somebody even, right. you know? That's stuff I did before, really. But I mean, it's 
It's uh, it's just getting out of yourself, helping others, and not with the idea of, boy, they're going to ask me what I do. And right. then I can tell I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I've been so, you know, how many times have I heard people say that in meetings? Mm. No, I agree with, I agree with what, I agree with all of that. I, I think that, um, you know, there's a lot of different ways to, to help people. And, um, I do it, I do it not necessarily be, I don't do it because I think I have to do it to, or I'm going to drink. I do it because I genuinely love it. I mm. love to connect with other people and I, I enjoy that. Now, that's really interesting. That paragraph you read, there's a lot of different ways that we um, can help people. And mm-hmm. um, I've experienced a lot of that stuff in that, in that paragraph, but I, I don't think that that's necessary that we all have to experience that. We all have our own, um, you know, responsibilities in life. We all have our, we're all at an individual place to help in different ways. Like mm-hmm. I, I knew a man, um, many years ago, a nice, nice man who's been sober for a long time. And one thing that he used to do is he had like a basement where he, he outfitted it where he would, um, if people didn't have a place to stay, you know, he would give people a place to stay or whatever. You know, that, and that was nice. He, that was something he chose to do. Not very many people mm-hmm. ever do anything like that. Um, the group that I went to when I, in my early days, they were very much, and maybe other AA groups were like this too. They were very much into the old-fashioned twelve-step call, and I'd been on a right. number of those. I talked about it in um, a podcast that I did when I was speaking at the Paseo group. I, I was kind of recounting some experiences of twelve-step calls that I'd gone on. But mm-hmm. it would always happen where um, we actually had a telephone in our home group, and we'd get a call. Maybe it came from central office, or, or maybe some someone in the neighborhood, or whatever. And it was somebody that that needed um, a visit. So we would actually go to the person's house or apartment and we would sit down and um, share our stories and talk, try to talk about AA a little bit to that person. Um, and, and it was just, you know, that kind of experience. So I, I, I had a lot of those experiences and I've also had the experiences of having to take people to emergency rooms. I've seen people mm-hmm. go through, um, um, Oh, what is it? You go through like convulsions, you know, I've had. Oh yeah. Yeah. Seizures. Seizures. Um, I've had all kinds of experiences, you know, with people. Um, not everybody does, but that I was at a place in my life though, Ben, where I was young and, um, I don't know. I was single and it was just, I guess, okay for me to do that, you know, but it's not for everyone and that's okay. I don't even know mm-hmm. if that happens that much anymore, if people really do those 12-step calls like they used to. But I used to go on a lot of those. <clears throat> yeah, I can honestly I can honestly say I've only been on one ever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I worked at a detox center, too. So, yeah. you know, I, it's at the end of those 12-step calls often. It's It doesn't happen as often, and, and things have changed since the book was written about sure. how we handle detox, thankfully. I mean, yeah. there's and also parts. people come to us uh, other than us going to them. Right. You know, um, and a lot of people call now a lot of people find find about AA online or something like that. And maybe they even go to some online meeting or something. I don't even there's probably more of that going on than I even realize. But yeah, but one thing about that, if you do go on a 12 step call and you're talking to someone when I was um kind of first doing it, and this happened many, many years, I somehow expected things to play out just as described in the book that as long as I did all this stuff and shared my experience with them that they were going to rise out of their beds and they were going <laughs> to take my advice and go to meetings and stuff. Well, that doesn't, doesn't always work out that way. In fact, most of the time, mm-hmm. most of the time, 
they I you would never see the person again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they might, you know, I don't know what would happen to them, but, um, yeah. you know, the experience for me was, was, was good. So that, that's why, why I would do it. But anyway, there are a lot of different ways you can help people. You can, you can, um, w- one thing that I, I, another thing that I've done that I enjoy doing, which might, again, might not be for everybody is at our central office when, when they, um, close at the end of the day, they, there's someone in the AA community here in Kansas City that has a um, the cell phone for the central office, mm-hmm. and you're basically on call, you know, for all the time that the the central office is closed. So you know, you get these phone calls from people at all hours. You know, um, it's like right. a, you don't get a tremendous number of them. You get you know get enough to keep you pretty busy. But that was a very rewarding way. So for a week, I'll I'll carry the central office um, cell phone, um, so that after hours I can you know answer the phone and tell people where there's a meeting or or maybe someone just wants to talk to somebody um mm-hmm. and so that's a, that was a good way of doing it um yeah. you know you can just you can just help out at your home group by cleaning up you can you know just go to meetings and be with people there's all kinds of ways you can go speak at, at other groups mm-hmm. um uh, recently i found and again this isn't for everybody but i i really enjoy getting involved with the service structure of aa and i now I go to you know my district meetings and area assemblies and stuff like that and you know I hated all that kind of crap for a long time but I I love it now um, because it's a way for me to be of service something I'm mm-hmm. wanting to do now for our area they elected me a like the alternative chair person of the oh great yeah <laughs> so I have a job and um, <clears throat> one thing that we're trying to do there we're trying to record stories of um, old timers in the western area of Missouri. So like someone, I guess an old timer, someone with 30 years or more sobriety. And so we record them for the archives. And I thought, well, that'd be just great for me because I have all this recording equipment with for podcasts. So I want to do that. I want to go to all the different groups and, and see if I can find old timers who will tell me their story and I'll just sit and record them. And I, that's a, a great way for me to be of service because I'm, I, I'm doing something I enjoy. I'm, I love history. I love AA and I, and I like hearing people's stories. I, I love recording their stories. Um, that's something I've learned. I enjoy from doing these podcasts because it's like when I, when I listen to someone's story on this podcast and I go through the editing process and everything, I, I never forget their story. I, I, the, mm-hmm. all these stories are in my brain and, um, I've gotten so much out of it. I just love it. So. I'm really looking forward to, to extending that to just the broader community here in Missouri because I want to hear experience beyond just the non-believers, and I want mm-hmm. I want to get all of that stuff recorded. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm kind of talking about myself too much, but there's all kinds of ways you can get involved in AA if you want to. Um, right. You don't have to do anything at all. I I'm like you. I I reject the idea that you've got to do this to stay sober. But you know what? Most most people do like helping other people. I think. <laughs> and so oh there's yeah. A lot of ways of doing it here. Yeah, definitely. I enjoy. Um, I haven't in, gotten involved in the political side of AA as much yeah. or the service structures you have, but I like living vicariously through you. <laughs> um, but you know, I'll volunteer for setup committees and things like that. And yeah, you know, I'll always offer. There's one time I had a friend who was involved in. You know, like I'll my old group used to set up a you know a hospitality thing at one of the spring flings or mm-hmm. whatever, and like I bought a bunch of pizzas, and you know that was my contribution but then i had this other friend uh now a few months ago he told me that he offered to donate several cases of soda for his group's 
thing like that. And everybody had a huge meeting about it and said that they didn't think they could allow him to do that because it might be an ego thing. That it's just like, good God, like, do we really have to micromanage this that much? Like, so they said, no, we'll buy it all with our money from the meeting. And, you know, I mean, I get what they're trying to say. They don't want to send a press, whatever, and he could maybe feel ill about it. But it's like, good Lord. Yeah. Like, we don't have to. I don't know. Anyhow, I uh, I don't have the patience for that, I don't think. So I'm glad that you are willing to get <laughs> yeah. into the service. I, don't, I should say I don't have the patience for it at this time. The times I have gotten involved, I yeah. felt like there was a lot of arguing and debates about right. issues that were non-issues that right. probably would never be issues. Right. It was like planning for a future that would never exist, uh-huh. like building a wall. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's just... I don't know. No, like you said, right. there, there are lots. A, <laughs> there are lots of ways to do this. There, there's there lots of ways to help out, and some of us do different things better than others. So it's, it's and where you're at in your life too. It's like you know where you're at in your life right now. You've got a newborn, you know, so your time mm-hmm. is pretty limited. You can't, you, and you can't be having pe- you know drunks in your house smashing the furniture and stuff like. Yeah, that. <laughs> yeah. no one but me at least. No, I'm just kidding. But it's yeah, it's interesting. Like I saw a lot of people on Thursday when I went for that guy's chip presentation that I hadn't seen in a while, and like people ask you that question, "Where you been? How you yeah. been?" And it's like well, just because I'm not going to your meeting anymore doesn't mean I'm not going to other meetings. Right. And then I, you know, I'll have people who say like, you still sober? And I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen you either. Are you still sober? You know, like it's just because they haven't seen me. They wonder if I am, but, and they kind of give you an extra long look in the eyes, like to see if you're being honest or I don't know. It's weird. I should write a book about um, AA etiquette. And, and one of the yes. things, one of the things I should say it, it's 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 bad form to ask somebody if they're still sober. <laughs> yeah, the first question that you ask them when you see them, yeah. not how are you, good to right. see you, just where have you been? Yeah, yeah. It's funny, and this guy, uh, this guy has you know knee problems and stuff, and he always has a big barbecue in the summer at his house, and of course, like four or five alcoholics asked him. Oh, are you still having the barbecue this summer? It's like, of course, it's all about you, right? You got to have the barbecue. Right. I want to. I want you to have your barbecue, not how you feeling, how's your leg uh, doing. It's good lord. Anyhow, though, I mean, I do think it's like I said. There's periods of times where being an active sponsor, and I still am, has probably helped keep me sober for sure. So I don't want to demean that. Uh, but as far as you know, there are different times when I sponsored people before that it was, you know. I think I probably did try and control them on some level without really overtly thinking I was doing so. And, and you know, Ben, that's the whole thing. You know, like you said, it's where you're at in your life, you know, and it's where you're, it's whatever is working for, for a person. Um, mm-hmm. cause like I could, I don't want to be so dogmatic myself saying, Oh, the big book is bullshit. And you don't need to be no. studying the big book. And, and you know, I don't want to be like that because, you know, I did those things because that's the person I was at that time and it was helpful. Right. So if I meet someone today, Who's like, I have to be real. I have to understand this because I meet people like this who drive me crazy. But I'm just looking at myself in the mirror, basically. These people mm-hmm. who th- who think, oh, this big book has got the, you've got to study this big book. You've got to know this big, yeah. you know, that kind of sh- drives mm-hmm. me crazy now. But I was kind of like that at one time. So I have to say, hey, wait a second. This is where this person is in their life at this time. And it's keeping them sober. So more power right. to them. More power to them. Yeah. Now that, that same person might be giving me shit because I disagree with them. For sure. (laughs) You know, that's their issue. But I can't, I, I, I cannot be an ideologue myself. I don't want to be like that myself and say, you know, cause like you can do that. You know, you could be an atheist. I could be a real hard ass. You know, I could say, well, 
because I don't, you know, I, I, I totally am a really hard atheist. I, I, I am so sure there's no God. I think it's really silly to believe in God. I think it's almost dangerous to believe in God. I really have these, yeah. you know, but I don't necessarily tell people who believe in God about that I have these views. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not that way, but I could be, you know, I, in AA, some people are. I could say, oh, that's bullshit. Right. You, 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 <laughs> I don't. Well, just let people I've, go take them where they are in their life. Well, and it's, it's, uh, life is a process, right? So the things that I'm ready to deal with now are different things that I wasn't ready to deal with before. So, like you said, that stuff, maybe reading the book all the time in the first couple of years is a good thing. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's not for another person. Yeah. Another, uh, quick story. The person also that I, uh, gave the chip to this past week, he's, you know, he's a big God believer, but we're still real good friends and stuff. And, it was interesting to hear him talk about it. Basically, he had a panic attack in the middle of the night one night while he was at this nursing center. And um, he called his wife and she came to console him. And, you know, he was talking about how God almost killed him three times that night. You know, and my translation of that was he was having a panic attack. He was so stricken with anxiety that it felt like he was going to die. Like, he's not at a place in his life where he's just going to die. Like, he's not that elderly of a person necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was talking to his wife about it later, too. And then so he retells the story. And then God came into his life that night and told him everything was going to be okay and this and that. Well, then I talked to his wife and she talked him into taking a Xanax from the nurse. And so it's like it's interesting his perception of it and the way he tells the story was that God came into his life and consoled him. And really, he had a Xanax to calm him the fuck down from having a panic attack. So it's, it's. I wonder if there was a certain Bill W. might have had a similar experience. Jeez, I wonder. You know, they <laughs> put him on a bunch of Belladonna for two straight days, and I wonder. But again, that's maybe that's that is that person's right to believe that. Absolutely. I struggle with, so with my mom a lot because my mom will say, you know, she just had surgery the other day too, so we got into talking about all this stuff, and she's always trying to get us to believe or get me to believe in God and all that stuff, and I'm like. Yeah. I don't, I don't see it work for her. Where I'm going with this is I'm kind of like you. I, d- I don't believe there's a God. I don't uh-huh. know there's not a God. I mean, I just, I, it's just not the way I talk about it. I don't believe there's a God. And personally, I believe that it's dangerous to believe in a God. Yeah. No, I, I shouldn't say I don't think it's dangerous to believe in a God. I think it can be dangerous to be involved in religion. Like, I, I think it makes people feel shameful for things that are natural. Yeah. I think it interferes with people's own emotional and intellectual well-being um but i don't deny that it helps a lot of people i'm sure it does yeah but but it's it's uh i think it can be dangerous especially when i look at how religious our culture our Uh our country technically is and then i look at all the sex issues we have yeah those two things are greatly linked i think um so yeah it's interesting being an atheist because um just you know i like for me like you hear me laughing sometimes about people with religious beliefs that's not i know it's not nice for me to do that but i I, i'm doing it with you because you understand i wouldn't be doing that that with a you know with an audience of a bunch of believers in the room or something i'm doing that with you because i'm comfortable and the people that listen to this podcast are pretty comfortable but i don't believe in bashing people with religious views but as as an atheist you know um and i and i guess i i understand i have to be kind of careful because um just because I do hold these beliefs, like you say. I, 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 I think that I don't, I don't like religion. I, I think it's bad for the most part. I, I think it's mm-hmm. dangerous, and I, I really don't like it, and especially when it's mixed in with politics. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I'm very weary of, of, of it, even when it's infused into AA. And mm-hmm. sometimes I think it's just downright comical too, you know. And 
the, I, and so I have to be real careful, you know, because I, I, just because I, I have those opinions doesn't mean that I think that the people who hold these views are bad people or, right. or stupid people. I don't believe that at all. Um, and I, and I do mm-hmm. respect their experience, I guess. I just don't push it on me. That's all I'm saying. Uh, mm-hmm. once they do that, that's when I will probably fight back. But, but if you want to describe your experience in a religious or, or spiritual terminology, I'm okay with that. And I will interpret that. I'll listen to you talk about your story and I'll say, yeah, you know, you, you really had a, a, a a transformation psychologically or mentally and i'm and i'm mm-hmm. i can interpret it that way and i'm fine but i'm not going to go out and fight you about your about because you right. say it's spiritual or whatever but yeah when i'm just talking to you i'll laugh about it <laughs> well and i probably you know i need to keep that in mind like this podcast is not for everybody in aa it's not no. you know and it's not it's not for anybody necessarily it's like take what you like and leave the rest yeah. and i don't tend to say anything about being an atheist in aa i mean i do from time to time but the only time that I'll really get bothered by something is if somebody says you have to do this or you yeah. have to do that. Because again, I can quote Bill Wilson tons of times saying you don't have to. Yeah. So Any and I, I have no, I have to be careful with that, but um I don't know. Yeah. I, I think I've gone through these experiences myself, and I don't want to be condescending to people who have or haven't, but it's I know what it was like to be a believer and believe that God exists and and all this stuff. And I'm not trying to get anyone to where I'm at, but I can, right. I can put myself in those people's shoes and see what's going on kind of too. Right. And I, I don't try and correct what I see as being wrong because it's not necessarily, right. but there's some things that I see. Well, when I was a counselor too, that their belief system is kind of holding them back. Like again, with my mom and her health issues and all this stuff, it's, it's amazing how she can use her religion to justify and, you know, it's very, it's like talking to an alcoholic or an addict in my office back in the day. Like there's lots of minimizing, there's lots of justification and rationalization for all the things she wants to do. And she uses her belief to do that. Yeah. Whereas I see it's for her protecting her own selfish, stubborn ways. And mm-hmm. that's what I see holding her back in terms of accepting her feelings and growth. Um, so that's, that's where it concerns me as somebody who has clinical experience. But again, it, just like you can't grab somebody new to AA and say, here's, in my opinion, here's what you have to do. I'm going to push it upon you. You have to do this or you're going to die. And I don't think that works. It's, it's not, it doesn't work for me just to question somebody's belief and tell them how fucking dumb it is right. and how stupid they are. Then all of a sudden they're going to not believe and their life's going to be better. Right. It's a process. You know, it's like coming to terms with the fact you had a bad childhood. Some yeah. people's idea of, making it through that is to idolize their parents and make it sound like nothing was ever wrong until later in life. And you realize it's okay to question that and realize that, yeah, they could have done some things different. And here's like right now, I've, we've got a 10 month old. So it's like, I'm at a period in my life where I question the things my parents did because I'm trying to clarify what I want to be as a parent. Right. And that's a healthy thing. Now, earlier in my life, it was maybe easier for me to ignore those things. And it was maybe psychologically benefit beneficial to ignore those things. But it's been my experience that some of the ways we can ignore these things by staying fundamental about AA, they bubble to the surface eventually, and they need dealt with. But I've seen 30, 35, 40 year old, 40 year sober people who just don't seem to have dealt with the emotional issues that they need to deal with in order to, to truly be free and and grow as a person and let go of some anger and fear and resentment and um so 
I like to think that's where my concern comes from on this level. But again, everybody's walk is their own and they've got to take their own path as they see fit and and do what works for them. So yeah. I, I need to respect that just like I would hope they respect my right to have my own walk in my non-belief. Right. I do too. I, exactly how I feel. Um, and like I say, I'm, I'm appropriate with whoever I'm speaking with. So just be, uh, just for people out there listening to the podcast, just because I'm laughing and making fun of the <laughs> belief doesn't mean that I, I'm that in- insensitive and I don't really do that all the time. <laughs> well, it's a testament to growth too. That's something that for me, at least I, I held so dearly and I definitely believe that now I can laugh at it and make True. fun of it because I, because I have more understanding of my past and where it was coming from. And yeah. for all I know, I may end up being religious someday in my life again. I really don't think know. so, but, but <laughs> I'm not, I'm not fighting that. Nah. I'm, I've ceased fighting anything and everything, John. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I hate that line sometimes. Yeah. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation as always. I'm so glad that we talked. It's good to get back and doing the podcast again. I don't really have yeah, anybody absolutely. lined up for the next week or so. I've got I've got some things I need to do. Like I was telling you, I, I feel sorry for Sarah because I, I told her I was going to read her book and have her on the podcast. I still haven't read her book. I need I need to take some time to sit down and read the book. So I'm going to try to do that this weekend and maybe I can oh, reach great. out to her real soon. She's a good person. Um, oh yeah, and and she's a really great writer. And from what I've read of the book so far, it was really good. So I have to start mm-hmm. over again. Though I, terrible with books. I want to ask too. What uh, what was the buzz like that you got from Megan's article? I know we talked a little oh. bit about. It. I shared it with a lot of people, and I had one of my more liberal. Maybe I said this on the last podcast, but I had one of my more liberal friends in AA. And his first response to me was, and this was just after we got done talking about dogmatism, mm-hmm. he said, you know, she shared in there about having difficulties and emotional difficulties with her mom. And I got to thinking maybe she wasn't a real alcoholic. <sighs> and I just looked at him and I go, dude, that's just what we were talking about. Like, it's like to dismiss anything outside of what you find to be a real alcoholic or not. And then it's like dismissing anything she found that didn't work for her in AA. Well, that's just because you weren't a real alcoholic in it. I got to give him credit because immediately he turned around. He's like, you're right. You're right. I did just do that. You're right. Sorry. (laughs) So, well, it was one of our more popular articles. And, um, you know, we've actually posted things on AA Beyond Belief before that deal with people who leave AA. Um, Mm -hmm. First of all, Megan's story. Um, Then we had um, a person, Steve um, Berger, who left and, and went to Smart Recovery. Um, mm-hmm. he, he wrote a story about leaving AA, plus we had him on a podcast. And then John Stewart, of course, we had him on a podcast yeah. about leaving AA and staying sober. So we've had stories of people on AA Beyond Belief who were um, alcoholics and decided that AA was not for them. And mm-hmm. I think those are entirely appropriate to have on our site. And I, I, I tell you what, man, I kind of think the grapevine should publish a story like that once in a while. I think it's good yeah. for people to, in AA... To read those things and understand that, first of all, it's not for everybody. Right. And second of all, we might be doing things that are driving people away. I mm-hmm. mean, there's a lot of stuff that Megan wrote in her article that made me stop and think about how I behave. Yes. You know, what behaviors do I undertake that are that that are driving people away, perhaps, or have mm-hmm. undertook in my life? And um, you know, and. And I just loved her story. I thought it was really good because she wrote it from a, from her own personal experience, which is what we generally do on, a, on in AA and on our site. Um, and she and I and I related with her about her story with her mother because I also had a mother who suffered from mental mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, so I related with her on that. 
Um, I was kind of dealing with all of these issues um, when I was in my 20s, and I think she's fairly young. So mm-hmm. I, could, I could really connect with her and relate to her in a lot of different ways. And and when I hear someone who says that they've left AA, and I'm okay with, you know, yeah, cool, of course, go, you know, you know, whatever. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought it was a good article. Um, I, you know, it's one of those things you want to read it a couple of different times, probably. Yes. Um, but it was one of our more popular articles. I think I didn't. We don't. I don't think we got too many negative feedback i think there was um maybe some people have left left us they, did, they didn't like the they maybe that being anti-aa mm-hmm. but um uh, we're not anti-aa i don't think she is I, I it's just like god damn why do we have to be like in camps right you know yeah so it's uh it's very alcoholic thinking actually to think that way i mean if if you believe in those such terms i mean it's like yeah put everybody in a camp so i can define them and i don't yeah, know like, like we're the aa camp and how dare you put somebody's story on there who doesn't like us or doesn't believe right. in aa or whatever and i think it was great she's a she's a she's an alcoholic or however she wants to describe herself she's someone who's had to deal with you know substance abuse issues and mm. she um has found a way um that she can help others still um yeah. without being part of AA and I think that's cool so you know I'm Yeah I, I used to great. I had a sponsee who used to always uh address himself as somebody who no longer drinks and then there's some other guy in the meeting would be like bullshit you're an alcoholic and I said dude you call yourself whatever you want you know some people don't find value in continuing to call themselves an alcoholic that's okay it's not oh, yeah. necessarily the first sign of a problem yeah, we get that um, in meetings too, and that's another thing that you know we in AA we um, you know we have this um, custom, I guess, of introducing ourselves. I'm so and so. I'm an alcoholic, and uh, some, sometimes a few of us in our meeting have gotten together outside the meeting. We've talked. I wonder how how productive that really is to to put that label on ourselves when newcomers you know see that. You know, you know why, it's really not necessary. We just do it out of habit. Right. Um, but when we do have a newcomer and it's not comfortable with that, we say, you don't really have to introduce yourself in any particular way. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I've it's, it's a, here, but, Yeah, uh, sorry, I've kind of dragged right. this on probably too long. But Megan's article was so well written and like, you know, it's it spoke me it spoke to me a great deal. And it's like I don't see what she wrote wrote and said well fucking i'm leaving aa too yeah. that's not i mean she just chooses not to go anymore because it's not healthy for her. i right. don't go as often as i used to because i feel like i found a, a level that's fitting for me i go to coffee with friends more and talk to the people that i sponsor and um you know well, she I wrote still a lot of stuff things, there that people need to think about because aa i mean we're we're just human beings we're a collective group of human beings and when you get groups of human beings together you know you have this group behavior and um we there is a certain amount of shaming that goes on um mm-hmm. i think unintentionally maybe sometimes intentionally depends on the person um mm-hmm. there's just a lot of a lot of things that we need to be aware of in alcoholics anonymous of our behaviors and mm-hmm. uh, making sure that we're respectful of people from wherever they're coming in their lives and and not be so pushy about crap and right uh, let people just say i thought it was good and i like her i mean i um, i don't know oh, her she's awesome but um i follow her on facebook and um you know she's i like her a lot and i like the way she writes and i hope she writes for us again sometime yeah she's great love her well ben you have a nice weekend um i'll get this thing edited and posted for this wednesday sounds great john yeah been good talking to you yeah good talking to you too all right have a good day all right well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. 
We'll be back soon enough with another episode for your listening pleasure. Until then, don't drink, go to meetings, and help others.